0: Welcome to Reconstructed Faith, a podcast where we talk about truth you can build your life on. We hope to dive into the hard conversations of life and faith, and seek out reasonable, substantive answers. My name is Colson Lechner, and I'm joined by Chris Sherrod, Chris Legg, and Brent Starnes. This is Reconstructed Faith. back to the Reconstructed Faith Podcast. I'm Colson Littner, alongside my partners in crime, Chris Legg, Chris Sherrod, and Bryn Starnes. I'm excited. Today, we're going to be talking about archaeology. hmm Archaeology. Now, specifically, mm-hmm.
1: archaeological.
0: There mm-hmm. mm-hmm. you go. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> no one knew what archaeology was until right? <laughs> until Indiana Jones
0: <laughs> made it cool. I know. I saw a clip of Harrison Ford. He walks out like at an Oscar to introduce, and and they play that song. He looks really ticked, and he goes that. That music follows me everywhere. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm so sad. I know, what a bummer. Four <laughs> hair. Hey, we're talking about archaeology today, specifically archaeological findings that are in support of scripture, correct? Right. Did That's I say that right? right? Yeah. yeah, that sounds good. Great. And so I mean we could just sit here and list a lot of them, but I'm excited to hear ones that you guys are excited about.
2: I have got a good quote from JP Moreland, who is one of my first apologetics professors ever. Uh, and he wrote a book called Scaling the Secular City. But just to to intro why this is a big deal, he says, one of the central claims of Christianity is that Jesus of Nazareth was the incarnate Son of God who died on the cross to atone for the sins of humanity and rose bodily from the dead. Our acceptance of these claims depends on whether or not the New Testament documents are reliable historical sources about Jesus. So just to make sure people feel a little bit more of the weight, of, mm-hmm. this is, again, not... It could seem really like this small little pocket of nerds over here, mm-hmm. but it really is a big deal. I actually, in the 90s... Chris, you probably I'm, I read these too, but I I subscribed. I had a, a monthly subscription to Biblical Archaeology oh, yeah. Review oh, yeah. Bar. So <laughs> this is where I was nerdy, like, oh, look what came in the mail today. My new edition <laughs> of Bar. But I really <laughs> loved it. I was a Bible teacher at the Lied time, and it. I loved it. so i would I would come to class the next day going like, "Guys, let me share with you the newest like, so anyways, it's fun and it's helpful. But to contrast what we've talked about before, again, like the Book of Mormon, for example, claims in it to have take taken place on this continent, and specifically a lot of this stuff in up upstate New York. And you've got all of this stuff in there about these um, elaborate temples and weapons that are used and There were people who originally came from Israel, actually, Um, and yet Joseph Smith said the the plates that he found were written in Reformed Egyptian, right? And they're this Christian faith, and so that's a great example of literally no evidence helping anything in the Book of Mormon. Like there's there's zero evidence of and strong evidence against. Oh yeah, against. There's zero cities, zero names, zero evidence that there was any Christian presence, um, zero temples, zero weapons nothing. So it's not even like he was trying. So they've tried to like go down to Central America and say like, well, if you look and it's like, but that's not where he said all this took place. So right. that's an example of archaeology not supporting the claims of your religious book. What's fun about the Bible is over and over again, the more we discover, the more it just reinforces the Bible's claims and the historicity of it. And even when people have claimed like, ah, that probably couldn't have happened, it's just a matter of time that archaeology ends up you know, helping it out.
3: And it was, it's significant because in that case, Smith didn't know, obviously didn't know how to translate it. And most people could not have translated it. There were very few people in the world alive who could translate it. And then when the understanding on how to translate it was finally brought to it, right. we know exactly actually what those pieces of paper were. Yeah. And, and it it had so nothing to do with, nothing to do 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 with locations. It was mostly embalming techniques. So that's a bad sign. That it would quite literally be like if someone discovered a new test that the new Testament one of the New Testament books we found it in Greek and no one spoke Greek and someone said this is what all it says and yeah. then someone uncovers how to how to translate the Greek and is like oh yeah that's not at all what it says yeah. it's not so it's pretty bad which is different mm-hmm. from the from the history of Christianity with the Bible yeah in regards to history and connection we are not making the claim that the Bible is primarily a history textbook right it would not destroy somehow the Christian faith if there was some kind of what what we would think of in modern terms as historical error or something that didn't happen exactly the way we understand it didn't happen exactly the same way it's described in scripture or something like that. That wouldn't destroy us. It just is significant to the degree to which it does match up historically, yeah. especially when it makes a claim on history.
2: yeah And there's still a few of those that are mysterious. We might even get into those, but yeah. Well, the same point, the other side of that is just because it's, in line with history doesn't mean it's supernatural. That's right. So it's just a a helpful thing when people make it sound like the Bible is unreliable or shouldn't be trusted or things like that. That it's another example of, you can't claim that archaeology goes against it.
0: I think those are really great clarifications because when you throw out, oh, we're going to talk about archaeology right now, it might come across as, okay, is this really relevant? And it is, and that is really relevant. So thank you for clarifying that.
1: And I think even for... For those that may not subscribe to Archaeology Digest, what was it called? Biblical Archaeology (laughs) Review (laughs) Bar Um, for those of us
2: in the know. uh, Yes,
1: (laughs) but I I do think it is one of those things that regardless of how deep you dive, it is encouraging to your faith. And Mm -hmm. it is another thing that even if you just want to scratch the surface, which often is, like we've said, is only what we are able to do anyway. We just scratch the surface and then encourage you to Keep deep diving. But I think archaeology is one of those things. Like even in the archaeology that I've learned about, I may not have an extensive knowledge of it, but what I have learned has reaffirmed my faith in Scripture. And so I I think you're right, Colson. I think it's important for that reason, even if, whether or not it's something that you personally enjoy, it is encouraging and reinforcing to our faith. So it's important. Mm -hmm. I have one that stands out to me. Okay, you go first. probably the standard. Go ahead. Okay. I feel like the Dead Sea Scrolls is probably the one that there people know about the most, hear about first, but it was personally encouraging to me when I heard about it in high school. I believe my parents taught me about it because my mom loves history and mm-hmm. loves apologetics and so introduced us to the Dead Sea Scrolls, and And it's an encouraging story to me and, and my faith, and, and then even visiting Israel a couple of years ago mm-hmm. and seeing where they were discovered was just amazing. So the Dead Sea Scrolls... I
0: give us a quick kind of overview yeah, if you don't then know. Yeah,
1: and you guys can fill in what I'm missing. But the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered in 1947, and they were discovered in the caves of Qumran in the northern shore of the Dead Sea. So the Dead Sea, the area around it, is just full of dry, dusty desert and lots of caves. And so often we think it, it was discovered in 1947, and so you would think, how did no one know that cave was there? Because if you were in... Texas or Arkansas, any cave everyone knows where it is <laughs> because there's not very many, but there are so many in that area that the countryside is just riddled with caves. And so, a shepherd or two shepherd boys were throwing rocks into a cave and heard a shatter in 1947, and then allegedly went to um, went to see what it was and found what we now know are the Dead Sea Scrolls, which were just tons and tons of vases um, and containers of fragments of Scripture, and, and it contained like 100,000 fragments of Scripture, and then I believe like 900 documents that had been pieced together from it. And it it included like a complete scroll of the prophet Isaiah, I mm. think fragments of every book of the Bible except for Esther, mm-hmm. if I'm correct in that of
3: the Hebrew Scriptures. Of the Hebrew yeah. Scriptures, Obviously right. the Old Testament,
1: yes. Mm-hmm. And then even included copies of the Greek translations of the Old Testament. So the reason it's important, and it also included like non-biblical texts and some practices of earlier Judaism, but the reason that it was so prominent and so important in history is because it included the oldest pieces of the Hebrew Old Testament that we had found up to that point. And previously, the pieces of the Hebrew Old Testament dated back to A.D., like 1,000 or 1,008. And Mm -hmm. so then after the Dead Sea Scrolls were found, we had fragments and documents from 3rd century B.C., so like a millennia earlier to the actual composition of Scripture, which is amazing. And to help confirm the Hebrew Bible was more reliable than even once thought. Absolutely. And... Led to a greater recognition of the Septuagint, so just very <clears throat> prominent discovery that had a lot of waves. Just made a lot of waves.
2: Oh, that's exactly right. That you jump, we jumped back of a thousand years. Yeah. from yeah. the 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 earliest copies that we had, and it, it put to rest again the idea that it's the telephone game. Right, it's been right. changed right. over time. Right, because now we could compare because we had uh, a copy from a thousand
3: one, year jump. Yeah, yeah. I mean. From, a, from an archaeological a or textual perspective you can't even wrap your brain around right. that right. right like i have found errors in copies of the lord of the rings when i was reading them that was published you know it's 80 years ago yeah. and has mostly been published electronically since then and still yeah. we have errors that are copy errors that are happening periodically to have a thousand years where mm-hmm. there is no such thing of any way to do that other than handwritten copies mm-hmm. you they should be they quote should be Radically different. I mean, yep. there should be wild differences between them. And there just was so little mm-hmm. of any significance. I mean, there were like y'all talked about on that spelling. on the talk with um when I wasn't Lainey. here about the Lainey. variances. Lainey. Yeah, yeah. And so, yes, of course, there were thousands and thousands of, of variances, but they were for the most part spelling, mm-hmm. um, word order yeah. changes, things like that. It was shocking. You either had to chalk it up to supernatural protection and or maybe the most serious. Copyists of all
2: time. Yeah, which is the case. They were able to compare, like, the copy of Isaiah that you had. That they found a full, a full Isaiah with a copy that we had from 1008 mm-hmm. um, AD, and it was essentially the same. I mean, yeah. it was it was like amazing. I actually, again, geeked out. The first time I went to Israel, we went mm-hmm. to the Dead Sea Scrolls Museum. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, and got to see all of them firsthand. Anything that you do back over there in the Middle East, if you go on a tour like in Israel, it's so fun because the the things that you see remind you, first of all, how old things are. Like we we think of like, oh, over in the the east coast of like the pilgrims and stuff are like, oh, this is so old stuff. But it's like, no, this is really old Yeah. Stuff. But it just <laughs> reminds you that this really happened. Like you're going mm-hmm. there and you're saying like this wall was built. This is the one it talks about in scripture or whatever. I think it's it's definitely one of, if not the most significant archaeological discoveries for Christianity.
3: Mm-hmm. Maybe in all of history, one of the most important ever.
2: Yeah.
1: And it's just encouraging, again, of the Lord preserving His Word mm-hmm. and revealing the authority and the historicity and just the reliability of Scripture, even confirming it to us in modern day. Just shows God's kindness mm-hmm. to us. Yep. Sure. Next time I go to Israel, I'm going to hike to that cave. That's nice. my next goal. Oh, cool! And find we just another. Drove by. I want to actually hike up there. <laughs> Could we stop
3: and get out and look at it? Usually, what we do is we stop at a bridge. Um, at a wadi at a dry riverbed and we stop but some some bus drivers get because it's a busy road and it's really they're not supposed to do that but they'll stop and let us all get out and we'll walk out into the wadi and look at it and
0: throw rocks into it rocks but it's a little, little far for more that pottery.
3: but I can't tell you <laughs> yeah going up onto Qumran so on another trip I climbed um, up to the top of the mountains there at Qumran mm-hmm. and anything that looks even vaguely like a cave we all were picking up <laughs> rocks and throwing, like thought throwing been like oh, let's be the, roll, next come on, one. the next one <laughs> Because there, by the way, there is every reason to believe there probably are. There could be thousands more pottery buried in that area of ancient Hebrew scriptures.
1: Which is also a reminder. I remember in high school when we first were talking about this, it's a reminder. You know when this was discovered, believers were nervous because there were all these new documents that, that hadn't been read yet. So it's just a reminder to me, okay, next time this happens and more are discovered, it's not something to fear because mm-hmm. yep. God does preserve his word.
0: So if, if the Dead Sea Scrolls are the number one that in your mind, super affirming to what we believe, what are some others?
2: The Hittites okay, are mentioned good. all Preach through the, the Old Testament and yep. they, the people used to think they were non-existent because we just didn't have anything else. And we things were discovered, which we just took a matter of time. But if you go to the Middle East, archaeologists know there's like a city that's basically ends up getting built on a city, which is built on a city, mm-hmm. and that's called a tell. And so you've got to dig down further to get to it, which there's still, I mean, you can go volunteer over there to be a part of digs all, if you wanted to. So they discovered numerous cities and evidences of treaties that the Hittites held with other nations. But that's an example of they thought, like, no, they couldn't have existed because outside of the Bible, and then it just took a matter of time. I like the Ebla tablets. Um, They are um, roughly going back to the third millennium B.C., and there's these five cities of the plain that are mentioned in Genesis 14, and um, they just give evidence that those five cities were historical. Like they were from— A lot of people used to think that even the culture of Moses' writing in his day was too primitive to have used Uh, writings, and these showed that like almost a 1,000 years before (laughs) Moses— They had these customs and events that uh, were recorded and writing in some of the same area of the world that that Moses and the patriarchs lived.
3: Which one was that one?
2: The Ebla tablets. It's one of those things where an outside source verifies these five cities of the plain that's mentioned in Genesis 14. And the only other one I was going to say is the Amarna tablets because it's a letter from these officials in Palestine and Syria written to Egypt asking for help from the attacking Heberu, and one letter from Megiddo actually lists some of these fallen cities that had already uh, been attacked, and it follows this same Israelite conquest pattern when they came in with Joshua to the land. And so the assumption there is, well, the Heberu are talking about the Hebrews that were coming through, asking for help. That's cool. That's called the Amarna tablets. That was That's a fascinating cool.
3: one, that, if I remember correctly, that took a while because they had to realize that the word Hebrew was a phonetic word. For a while, no one connected these people to the Hebrews yeah. because it doesn't look like the words for Hebrew. But when they yeah. did it phonetically, they were able to discover, like, hey, wait a minute, that sounds
2: yeah,
3: a group of strangers, which is essentially what it means, who showed up and then yeah. kind of started pushing people out. And like, that's starting to sound kind of familiar. Yeah. Um,
0: hey, really cool. So the Hittites, the Ebla tablets, And the Amarna tablets.
3: Mm -hmm. Okay, so let me start with a couple that I love because I've gotten to live through them and get to see them. Here's a couple of examples. So I I went to Israel for the first time in 2009. In the year 2007, for example, the Pool of Siloam had been discovered. Yes. And so when we went, it was still like essentially just some steps covered in dirt. They were still uncovering it. And what's extra cool is that the Pool of Siloam had been thought to have been discovered long before such that earlier paintings of of people trying to show, like people at the Pool of Siloam showed something that was totally wrong, because all they had to go by was this really dumpy little pool at the end of Hezekiah's Tunnel, which I'll get to in a second.
2: Yeah.
3: So there's actually paintings that show this wrong location, but that's all that people knew existed. And... There was always a concern because it's not exactly in the right place. It's not where they thought it would be. It's
2: not very big. It's not all. very big. And yep.
3: Herod the Great didn't do things small. Mm-hmm. And so he built this giant pool and everybody's like, eh. But literally for years, I would still take pictures every year of the sign that still said Pool of Siloam over the old site after they discovered the new one. It turns out it's massive. Mm-hmm. It's a massive pool, which is exactly what you would expect. It's right where that it should be. They started then excavating out from it. They're like, well, then there should be some stairs going all the way up to the temple nearby. Let's start covering it. And they found yeah, those. Yeah. And so literally strictly from some biblical accounts and Hebrew uh, records, they figured out where all these things would be, which then indicates where the stairs to the city of David is, because the city of David is a southern section of Jerusalem. Which allowed them to then confirm that a structure that had recently been found in the city of David was David's palace. And now that at first, because uh, partially because it was a woman who discovered it, a woman archaeologist discovered it. So she got a lot of pushback from a lot of her compatriots at the time. Like, oh, you're saying you finally found the the palace of David after all these years? And in fact... More and more evidence, even including like a stamp was found on the property of the palace that was a stamp for one of the men listed as David's advisors in the Bible. They then found that stamp. Understand David is a a historical figure who for years was dismissed as probably fully fictional or largely fictional. They're like, there's no indication that the Jewish tribes ever united under anybody until maybe Solomon at some level and then immediately divided under his sons. This David character is this this King Arthur kind of character meant to pre- present Solomon as a real thing. Because Solomon, there's history of Solomon around the world because he was very powerful and all that. And they were like, ah, King David was probably just this kind of pathetic little warlord who had a little following, if that. You know, he had 30 men. Well... More and more, what we're discovering is that whole section of Jerusalem is being uncovered now and is revealing So there was this very powerful local king who apparently took this city, built a significant palace of his own that then was probably enlarged later. It's, it is all straight from the biblical account all the way down to there. Uh, down and it's to the taking pool of so Siloam. long
2: because this, the city's there, right. and tourists come through. Like You can't just like <laughs> yeah, exactly. put a halt to everything.
3: And on top of that, it, everything is owned by multiple different people. And yeah. so something this big, like literally, if you get to go to the Pool of Siloam, it's only half uncovered. And then there's like a wall of dirt that's like eight feet tall at the halfway mark is because that's owned by someone else that won't sell it to the nation of Israel. Because now they know... It's worth a lot of money. Yeah. So at some point, the Pool of Siloam was a big place. And people would say, like, the Pool of Siloam, Jesus references a tower at the Pool of Siloam. There are no towers at the Pool of Siloam. It's just this dinky little puddle. Turns out, it's exactly what Jesus described. Um, we also have the Pool of Bethesda. Great discovery, the Pool of Bethesda. Um, in John chapter 5, we get this account. There is in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. That's pretty specific. Yeah. I mean, John yeah. is being very specific. He says where it is in the city, because we know where the Sheep Gate is, and it's called Bethesda, five roof. And these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew what he had been there a long time, he said, do you want to be healed? etc. Now there's this whole thing, and, the, and Mark talks about how the pool would be stirred up. Mark makes it clear that it is a legend. Mark does not say this is the truth. He says that it was thought that an angel, a spirit, would stir up the waters. People would go down in the water and be healed. So they uncovered, they, couldn't, they hadn't found the pool of Bethesda. Finally, someone dug actually where the Bible says that it was, got permission, dug down there, and found, lo and behold, a pool with Five colonnades exactly as is described in John, and evidence that it was used by the Romans as a, I'm going to say the word wrong, a scapula. The, the god, the snake wrapped around the pole god, where people would have gathered to be healed. And the legend that the pool would, they actually even uncovered that. Have y'all heard this? Uh-uh. Um, they then discovered that the base of the pool at <laughs> Bethesda was linked to the sewage system at the Antonio Fortress, which was right there. And so the Antonio Fortress apparently periodically, so it had cool water because it was connected to a uh-huh. spring, and then apparently periodically the Antonio Fortress, when it dumped its sewage into the sewage system, the warm sewage, would, they're assuming this is probably what would cause the water to stir. And people thought that would heal them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, prob- probably didn't have that effect very much. Mm-hmm. Um, the pool, by the way, that pool was discovered in 1888. So until then... For 1800 years, no one knew where it was. Uh, so there's one. I love that one. I've gotten to experience those. Another one in 09, a first century house was discovered in Nazareth. Because for a while, there was question as to whether or not there really was a village in Nazareth from first century. And the thought was, there probably, in fact, there were a lot of people saying there there was not a first century settlement yet there like that had that was like a village. And so discovering a a individual home, which again, you find a... Home, a family home in Nazareth from first century. It probably isn't Jesus's house, but it could be. He could have been there. He could have gone (laughs) to that house. This often happens in Israel. I I went there the next year, and we had to uncover it. They were not advertising it. it. They were keeping it as secret as they could. There, they had it behind a bunch of walls. And, and you kind of had to bribe people to find out where it was, and we had to peek through the walls to see where it was, and they were already in the process of reburying it. And that is not uncommon really? because whoever owned it didn't want to turn it into a tourist site. Oh, wow. And so it's like the only other option is they were filling they were filling it full of sandbags, probably with the intention of concreting over the top of it. So if it's
1: um, a prominent discovery, they either make it a tourist site or right. recover it.
3: Yeah, what else are you going to do?
2: It, aren't you going to talk about your favorite
3: one? <coughs> When, when you're there, when you're taking a tour? Um, there's oh. two favorite ones there while I'm there. One is Hezekiah's Tunnel. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. Um, and so in Second Kings twenty twenty, it says this, The rest of the deeds of Hezekiah and all of his might and how he made the pool and the conduit and brought water into the city. Are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? And by the way, they are referenced in the book of Chronicles. If that's the book that's being referenced here, there's very likely there's a different Chronicles book that we don't have but and how it was done which would sure be cool to have um, but um, in 1837 so again 1800 years later these tunnels were found and they are carved straight into the bedrock of the mountain well actually
2: even longer yeah. more than 1800 years oh
3: that you're exactly right that's not first century oh my gosh yeah so it's a lot further back uh, in fact there's Hezekiah was even a, a questionable figure until Sennacherib's annals uh, uh, called the Taylor's Tablet in 1830 uh, it references the war between Israel and Sennacherib, again which is straight which is in the bible they could find more of these tomorrow yeah it happens all the time so the other one he wanted me to reference i think was the pilate yes, stone yes yes and so pontius pilate who is obviously a significant person in the in the biblical account in the account of jesus's uh, death especially there were references to pilate but not great ones ones that were easily kind of dismissed like was this a real historical figure um, was there really was it was there really Pontius Pilate and was he really governor and all that kind of stuff.
2: And were they was he only mentioned because the gospel mentions him? Like that right, was kind of the right. question. Was, Did
3: other people later mention yeah. him because of the gospels? And in in nineteen sixty one in Caesarea Maritime, when they were digging for a different building, they found a um, dedication stone mm-hmm. that was dedicating the building to the divinity of the Caesar at the time and references Pontius Pilate not only does it reference him but it references him as governor and it's from the 1st century like it literally was probably done by him while he was alive it, to the degree you can have any absolute knowledge from history especially ancient history this is it and once again though i know that if if we were you know playing for the other team we could bring up examples of things like you know, exactly what year jesus was born and when was Corinius exactly doing And there's some differences between historical accounts and biblical accounts, and even between several different ones. Mm-hmm. We could come up with some, some historical events to say, man, this, this seems like maybe the Bible got it wrong a little bit historically or whatever, that's not what I'm saying. But if I was trying to push to find holes in it, yeah. there are plenty of places where there's either not much information or the information is unclear, or even what is there seems to be an error. Now I will tell you because of how many times that we have thought the Bible was wrong about history and it turned out to be what was right. Like with the Hittite tablets, that you you go from essentially in 1906, you go from, we're not sure there was such a thing as a Hittite. How could we have ever missed them? They're a a nation who rivaled the Egyptians and we've never found anything about them. Nah, the Bible made it up. And there wasn't tons written where that was mocked. Everybody knew that ancient history is tough. And then to discover 10,000 clay tablets that mm-hmm. reference them over a short period of time, you're like, okay, well, it turns out the Bible was exactly right about it. That happens enough time now that when I have people even say, even with Roman history, like, oh, but they have Corinius being you know, in charge at this time, but Luke seems to say it was this time, I lean towards going, man, I, it won't surprise me if Luke turns out to be right about this, yeah. and, and that the other historical accounts we have are, are actually, even though they're Roman and we usually trust Roman accounts... If you're talking about the two- or three-year difference, and that's what this is talking about, by the <laughs> way, or that he served multiple times. So I know there are plenty um, of questions out there uh, that people have about this stuff, but the one of the things I love about biblical archaeology is when I was there last time, our guide told us that there was a city that they had uncovered that had two gates, and it was rare for the cities to have two gates. And It was real close to the Valley of Elah. And and one of the cities that David chased, It when it lists all the cities that David chased, the Philistines through mm-hmm. after defeating Goliath. One of them, the city name is Two Gates. And and they're like, that's weird because cities don't have two gates in this part of the world. And then they uncover a city within four or five miles wow. of the Valley of Elah, and it has a front gate and a back gate because mm-hmm. it's on a ridge, so it could go either direction. And and they're like, wow, that's well, what an amazing coincidence. None of them <laughs> have two gates. <laughs> yeah, none of them have two gates. <laughs> and every time you run into that with biblical account, they go, no, there is no gath. And then someone says, you know what, I'm going to use the Bible to, to see if I can pinpoint Gath and find it. And yeah. then they find it. Mm-hmm. If anyway.
1: someone's wanting to deep dive more, are there websites that are go tos or books that if they just want to dig more, or there's a, a reputable source for archaeology that supports scripture? Yeah.
2: I still think, because I'm old school, that the, the thoroughness of ev- the evidence that demands a verdict book, yeah. which has yeah. been updated now with Sean McDowell and yeah, his dad. Yeah. Still Stands is a really good, a helpful one. Yeah. Oh, I just looked, in Biblical Archaeology Review does have a website. There you go. Nice. And there's still a magazine. You can still get it if you want.
0: Thank you for joining us for this episode of Reconstructive Faith. If you enjoyed what you heard or were challenged, please leave us a review. It'll help other people find us. If you have questions or a topic you'd like to hear discussed, shoot me an email at info at southspring.org. Reconstructed Faith is a resource of South Spring Baptist Church. Remember, don't give up. Trust God. Search for answers.